0: Hello, Share Your Stories listeners, Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and this week's guest is Allison Pilling, an advocate for empowering lives. She is a mom, widow, mindset coach, and doTERRA wellness advocate. She works with people who are ready to start restoring inner peace. She helps them to release fears and build confidence as they embrace their empowered life. Her recently published book, R.I.P. Restoring Inner Peace, A Young Widow's Story of Being Transformed by Love, is available on Amazon and it shares the story of her grief journey following the death of her husband in February 2016. Allison's vision is to create an empowerment ripple effect one person one family one community at a time and this journey starts with you your life matters enjoy the show awesome welcome to another episode of the share your Stories series this is a podcast experience where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time I am your host, Jenny Dilt, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach. My website is grievingcoach.com. So before we started, I wanted to share a little bit behind the series and what got it started. Um, I've been connecting with amazing people, and I've been so fascinated with their stories that I wanted to open them up so that other people can learn as I have learned from people's experiences. And so, thanks to the nonprofit organization Reimagine, I have the opportunity to do that through in a podcast format where people can come and experience these stories live, just as I have done. And um, so the interviews are recorded in the Reimagine space, and then I take them and edit them and publish, publish them as podcasts through anchor.fm. So that's a little bit about the podcast and how it got started. This week's guest is Alison Pilling, an advocate for empowering lives. She is a mom, a widow, mindset coach, and a doTERRA wellness advocate she works with people who are ready to start restoring inner peace she helps them to realize fears and build confidence as they embrace their empowered life she is also the author of the upcoming book r.i.p restoring inner peace a young widow's story of being transformed by love this book contains allison's personal story of restoring inner peace as part of her grief journey after the death of her husband in February 2016. When a loved one dies, we wish for them to rest in peace. But as survivors, we rarely allow ourselves to do the same. She believes that love connections imprint our souls forever, and she moves forward with acceptance of what is. Allison made the choice to grant herself permission to choose love over fear, allowing herself to be transformed by love. This decision has created a life she would never have dreamed of after the death of her husband. To honor his legacy, she practices releasing fears and embracing empowered action, knowing that her husband's wish for her would be the same as hers for him. R.I.P. Allison's vision is to create an empowered ripple effect. One person, one family, one community at a time. And this journey starts with you. Your life matters. Allison, I love talking with you and I always learn so much from our conversations. I'm
1: excited. Yeah, I'm excited too, Jenny. Thank you so much for inviting me to this opportunity, right? It's like, I think sharing stories and storytelling is a way that we have Learned and grown within humanity for forever, and I've got to say, you know, at first I'll say I had some apprehensions against, you know, with the internet and all this stuff, right? I'm from Uh the generation like I didn't have a cell phone as a kid. I didn't have the internet. My I actually had dial up, like, and then like, you know, that Uh kind of thing. But the internet, um, especially during this time, right? Um, we've really been able to use it as a beautiful opportunity to continue the sharing story and connect with all these people around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just got to say, yeah, thank you for inviting me. And yeah, I'm grateful to be here.
0: Me too. I'm grateful (laughs) that you're here with me. (laughs) Um, So you tell people that you were a a 38-year-old retired widow yeah not many people complain that (laughs) yeah that
1: happened (laughs) so tell us more about Um, that yeah exactly so um okay we'll start with in my introduction right so my husband did pass away in February 2016 and at the time we were both 36 years old and um He was working as a financial advisor, and I was an environmental chemical engineer. I was working in the environmental remediation consulting world. And I'd been there for about 15 years. I'd been there for a while. So after my husband passed away, um, I really realized I needed to step back a little bit. And um, I was pulled in lots of directions. I had two young children. They were five and six. When he died, um, I ended up moving back to my hometown. And even within my hometown, I moved a few times. Um, You know, our dog passed away. My, essentially my children's world, they lost their dad, their house, their school, their friends, um, you name it, right? It was just the So about two years after, I started reducing my hours with the consulting firm And um, I was working, I don't know, around 24 hours a week before I made the decision to leave that career. So in April 2018, um, I had a real big discussion with my ego, we'll say. (laughs) And the justification at the time was my family, my children need some some time and attention for our healing journey my son was really struggling with the moves he acted more what you would say traditional um boy behavior right like anger his sadness drove anger and physical outbursts and that type of thing my daughter she withdrew and she created this beautiful stuffy world right with her stuffed animals and she'd visit her dad and our dogs there and and, everything. and I just kept having these visions that, oh no, what happens if we don't take a breath and really nurture some of this healing journey and our grief and our sadness and actually recognize our loss? Um, What's gonna happen in the teenage years? (laughs) Because I've been forewarned that those might be difficult. Um, And especially then as a widow, like a solo mom. Um, So yeah, I handed in my resignation so I, I joke that I retired, but yeah, I had always been a career woman. Um, I love my career. I still do. I love working. Um, and yeah, so at 38 years old, I, I retired, I guess. I, I left my, with no idea of what I would do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I left my engineering career and uh, yeah, focused on my family and i've got to say what gave me the courage to hand that form in was that i was doing it for my children um but once i handed it in i actually realized i had done that for myself um in that two and a half years i hadn't allowed myself to actually grieve mm-hmm. um, my husband's loss so that was a surprise for me um, when that came up. But yeah, that's that's how I get that fun title, I guess. That's awesome. <laughs> it happened, yeah. And you know, I sit back, and even at the time, like being a 36 year old widow, like how you would never, I never I'll say it, like I never thought that would even happen. Even okay. when my husband James was sick. I got to be honest, I never thought he'd pass away. I thought so young he'd
0: too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was like an athlete. He ran cross country. He played hockey. He, you know, um, he he's a beautiful, kind soul. He was an entrepreneur. He was successful in in all those areas. And um, yeah, when you're young, I guess, and stuff, you just never think that's going to happen to you. And then mm-hmm. it did. It did. And uh, I was like, holy, holy moly. Uh, yeah, this is, this is happening. So yeah. it took me a long time to even um, call myself a widow. It took a really long time. Um, I had noticed that I'd, I'd always say um, my children's dad died. Their father passed away. Uh-huh. Um, I disassociated from my grief. I think that was part of my survival Uh uh-huh and um yeah even calling myself a widow that that took a lot of steps to get me there
0: Mm -hmm. what happened as you started to own your grief and begin your own grief journey yeah um so when I
1: think of that first year, year and a half or so, um, I didn't own my grief mm-hmm. at all. I went into engineering project manager mode. I was getting things. I had to-do lists. Like I was the executor of a pretty complicated um, estate. You know, thankfully we had wills. Thankfully we had things set up. We had done that in our 20s. I don't know why, but we did at the time. James had actually... Initiated it, and I was like, "What?" Um, but I'm so thankful we did because, you know, that that worst case scenario happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so even with those things in place, it still was a little tricky because, yeah, he was an entrepreneur. Um, we were independent people, right? We had our own separate bank accounts, and you know, just a lot of things to to tie up, um, put things in order for your household. But then there's also all the communications with families and friends and planning a memorial yeah. and, and attending to your children. Because um, every time there's an event or with the school or with the friends or a holiday, you know you're very you know your dad's not there. It mm-hmm. comes to the forefront in your mind. So I think just to get through those days, I went into uh, I call it survival mode, but disassociated from my grief. And because of my engineering training, <laughs> yeah. I went into full-on project manager mode. I had spreadsheets and, and everything. So it wasn't, it took me a little while to actually acknowledge that I had grief too. Which when I say that now, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. My partner died. <laughs> my kid's father died, right? Like yeah. Um, so I knew, like, I started seeing it in other things. So, um, my body was telling me with digestive issues, adrenal fatigue, um, I was actually scared. What would happen if I got sick Mm -hmm. when I started feeling the adrenal fatigue? So that's why I was like, Whoa, wait a second. You need to slow down and have a look at what's going on. And I didn't actually start addressing my grief and acknowledging it until a few months after i left my engineering career and i got introduced to um like uh, health and life coaching and transformational coaching and i worked with a coach because i didn't at the time i i was in mom mode super mom mode (laughs) I wasn't I didn't even know I'll be honest looking back now I don't even know who Allison was at that time I didn't know what Allison liked um yeah she was doing everything to maintain her house get her children where they need to be or fed or dressed or whatever right mm-hmm. um calling other people who they need support and supporting them um I thought I was taking care of myself, like I didn't do that on purpose. But now looking back, it that was that was how I got through those initial um, years. Yeah, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's just what I what I did. And now that I've actually acknowledged that I do have grief, um, yeah, my my body's happy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain that but like um I feel as though within my life I have some choices and that's where I talk about that empowerment so does it mean my life's not perfect you know yeah. um you know stuff still hits the fan <laughs> um we I'd say one of the biggest parts of me healing and opening up was the acceptance that um, he was actually gone and that that can be important to me, right? Like this is my grief as well. I'm allowed, I'm allowed to grieve and I'm allowed to grieve James for as long as I want. Mm -hmm. And he can be part of our lives forever. Yeah, I don't have to wrap it in a little bow and put it on a shelf. And I would say that um, was huge for me. Um,
0: Definitely. I think it's fascinating that you have the different uh, phases of your grief journey. (laughs) Like you were in survival mode for like a year and a half, right? And then you went into, okay, now I can, own I can start to own my grief yeah and I can listen to what my body is telling me now I can work on myself after I've I've survived everything's more or less functioning yeah now I can work on my own restoration process yeah
1: yeah and um yeah, I guess you can say, like, I went through those, the traditional phases of our stages of grief, right? Um, and not always in the in the order that you think it's going to happen in, and um, not in the timeline either. And once I, I will say at the beginning, I had a very defined picture. I had attended funerals, you know. Uh-huh. I had grandparents pass away. I've had my parents, family, friends pass away. I've had my, my friends and peers like in high school and I've had people my age pass away, um, but not ones where um, I felt responsible, right? So I think some of that was really scary for me, um, addressing some of those really hard feelings of feeling responsible for James's death, Mm -hmm. the guilt, and then the responsibility of moving forward with um, parenting solo. Like I didn't get married and have children to do it by myself. (laughs) (laughs) I may have made a different choice. (laughs) I'll be honest, I love my children dearly and everything. But I mean, back in the day, if I had known that I would be doing everything on my own, I don't know if I would have made the same choice. Right. So mm-hmm. um, that level of responsibility. So even with still having the safe space to work through um, feeling responsible for someone's death and holding that guilt. Like that's debilitating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I dissociated so mm-hmm. much because it's the what if. You know, what if I made that last phone call? What if I drove by one more time? What if I hugged them or kissed them? Or um, what if we had this conversation? Um, Like you can drive yourself bonkers doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's how I protected myself for those first two years by not even saying this is my grief. And I never said it out loud. I didn't realize I was saying my... My kids' father died. Um, it was once I actually had that space of not being so busy. Yeah. I allowed us space. Um, I realized what the heck I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this was not um, benefiting any of us because my kids weren't getting the best Allison. Right. Right. Yeah. And I also don't know that um, James's life was being honored when I was living that way. Which is what I was able to to anchor anchor myself in. It's like um, to honor a loved
0: one is to live your best life. Mm -hmm. So you're bringing up a lot of important points, Um, the grief and the what ifs um needing to clear space before you could even start with your own grief and honoring our loved ones um did those lessons come all at once or did they come little by little
1: yeah um I would say along the journey I I learned different lessons along the way so definitely not all at once they kind of they trickled in and um, some stuck for a long time and they were big aha moments. Mm -hmm. um, That were totally life changing for me. And um, some of them were kind of. I guess. Or maybe they were present, but I didn't necessarily trust or believe them or could articulate them. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. But yeah, it wasn't in one fail swoop. I was like, oh, you know, this is what's going on. Or even when I was in the throw of it, um, I was running through a process. <laughs> Again, my background's process engineering, I work in flow, flow diagrams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I like going from like, you know, I like moving through the flow diagram. That's, you know, that's just (laughs) Uh how this, how this ticks and, um, and having that analytical approach. So even going into that feeling world was foreign to me. Um, so I would say when I started working with the coat and started pulling some of that stuff, or even just allowing myself to actually feel some of these things. I was like, wow. Like, at sometimes, um, like, I didn't want to acknowledge that I was angry because I didn't want to, you know, um, not honor James's life or his being or his kindness. Um, I felt ashamed if I felt angry at the fact that I was abandoned.
0: Mm-hmm. Not that he had
1: the intent. I never believe he had the intent to do that. But I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. But I was angry. I can say it now. Back then I couldn't. Um, and then also moving for those other things, right? It's like, it's, it's really an empowering to be able to feel within your body when you had that emotion come up and you can acknowledge it and be like, okay, so where can I take this? Mm -hmm. So what are my options with this? Or what is this communicating with me? And then I start realizing there's repeated patterns in in my life. And I keep applying the same sort of decision-making tree, flow diagram (laughs) to them. But at the time when I was doing it, I didn't know that I was following that process, if that makes uh, any sense. If I'm just being honest. Yeah. Um I I was doing the best I could with what I knew at the time. Um and would I have done some some, some things differently? Yeah, for sure. Isn't mm-hmm. perfect? No way. Um but can I sit here and be um take responsibility and accountability. And even be proud of some of the decisions like I watched my kids go to school this year so we have always struggled with school and attending daycare and school and I never I always felt my kids were safe at school that wasn't my concern um I actually wonder and they didn't articulate this to me but I'm wondering if they were afraid of leaving the home mm. what will happen to mommy if I'm not with her yeah they've They've lost a parent. So it's not that whenever we talked, they always felt safe in the school environment. And I felt like they were safe. Like I had no concerns about them going to school or anything like that. But every day was a negotiation and a crying and all this stuff. When are you coming to get me? And my stomach's upset and, you know, I'm tired. And there was just something. Um, each day that was giving resistance and I don't believe it was going into the school. I think it was actually leaving the home. Right. And starting to look at, okay, so how can I nurture that within, within them? But I also realized I was doing that with relationships and things in my life because I started tailoring my life to my worst case scenario, Mm. which is a death of my spouse. Right. Right. So when situations came up, my, the way I would process things, I would do a back check as to you know, how do I protect this, this potential sense of loss um, or abandonment. And I was very cautious with things. And um, I'll be honest, that's a stressful way to live.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: No wonder I was in adrenal fatigue.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So how has coaching allowed you to transition from checking and double checking and going from the the flow, like the, the flow chart to being more open, I
1: guess, if that's the right word. Yeah, I was gonna say one of the greatest gifts of losing someone um, is that it helped me get over the fear of, of saying yes and trying new things. I was very timid, very shy. Um, James was the extrovert. I was very introverted. Um, and again, just quiet, quiet in a crowd. I was the wallflower. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. I would never be on video like jeepers. I was barely on Facebook, um, let alone have my face or, or talk, you know, I go to a work meeting or training and I would not raise my hand. No way. Um, but one of the gifts is that I was like, I've had, I've had the worst case scenario. Yeah. Right. And it sucked, but I mean, I also have had some really amazing opportunities after, right? So it's actually given me permission to say yes to some things and explore some of the opportunities that I would have shut down right away. So that is one way that it's opened me up. And even just saying, like, if this doesn't work, that's okay. You know, I do a check all the time. Does this protect, you know, health and safety, that's because that's my experience but if it it crosses that like the safety of me or my children or my loved ones the safety of others and then my next question is well why not if it checks those two boxes it's like well why not why not give it a try so that has opened a lot of opportunities that you know i i always (laughs) recently i've been saying i never want to say never again because this year alone so many things have happened that I never thought in a million years I would do, right? And I'm proving myself wrong. So these are limiting beliefs. Um, So there's been a total mindset shift as to what are my capabilities? Um, And then through experience, it's grown um, my Mm self-confidence. And um, yeah, within that, I've started trusting trusting my instincts on some things. I've realized um, I have a pretty strong, like I'm an empath and just say I've known that my whole life, but I shut that down to go into the analytical scientific world, the mass production world. And I shut down my feelings. I was a thinker. I still am a thinker. I don't think my intellect went out the window, like Mm -hmm. still a licensed engineer. And yeah. Yeah. I, I feel I'm intellectual <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or can educate myself, right? As needed. Um, but I used to have a lot of embarrassment and shame around talking about feelings, how I felt about something. Um, and being able to embrace that softer side of myself, I think has actually made me more well-rounded. And like I said, has built my confidence. So now when these things come to meet a new person, like yourself, we met over LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Right. And then like go on a podcast or whatever, you know, 10 years ago, even if it was in my engineering discipline, no, no, that wouldn't happen. (laughs) So it's opened up a lot of beautiful connections and um, yeah, I've just realized that I do still do those checks but they've actually become, um, it's in my subconscious, Mm -hmm. right? And that's one thing, like, that I talk about in my book, um, RIP, Restoring Inner Peace, is this whole idea of being transformed by love. And I use love as an acronym. And I call it, you know, a four-step action plan, because that's what we talk about in engineering. We, action, action, action. <laughs> awesome. You know, we want results. Uh-huh. We want to see how this works, right? So, Um, The way I break it down is, so L is for looking inward, right? Just even acknowledging what is your greatest fear around what's coming up, what might be triggering you. Um, And before you can even determine whether you need to restore your inner peace, you have to acknowledge that something is triggering you. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just on autopilot all the time. And you won't know why you still, you might know you feel off or tired or impatient or whatever, but until you actually acknowledge that, um, it, you can't work on it because it's just pushed down. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, um, O is like actually truly observing your feelings. So listening, what is the, what are those stories that are running through your mind and where's this fear going in your body? Where are you feeling it? Is in your throat? You know, we have this thing, if you believe in chakras or that type of thing, it's like, if you feel constriction in your throat or you even have a sore throat or a cough or something like that, like you might need to say something that might be difficult to say or to someone that you love. Um, But again, uh, just acknowledging that you do have a dialogue running in your head your mind is telling you things right mm. whether they're positive or negative when you have an experience or receive a comment or something a lot of the times our mind goes into a dialogue so what is that dialogue where are you feeling that in your body and how does that relate to what your your greatest fear can be around that and then just even thanking your body for like giving you that information
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right, because you can't do anything about it unless you know. Exactly. Yeah, so V is the validating options. So here's where you start, you can get creative and you can brainstorm, you know, you can do that with yourself and whether you journal or you go for a walk or whatever that looks like for you, you can do that with support from a coach, a friend, you know um a counselor like it can be anyone right your sibling someone that you trust your mom your dad um that actually will look at things from a higher level perspective so you take that step back from those intense feelings and then you say okay well what is actually within my control Mm -hmm. you know i don't want to be feeling abandoned anymore i don't want to be feeling um unsafe or insecure or, um, you know, I don't want to be angry anymore. What would I rather be feeling? Well, I want to create a place that feels safe for me and my family. Okay. So what are some options I can do for that? Right. So you can do anything from like putting locks on the door, getting a security system to maybe reviewing your financials. Right, do you feel safe if you can pay your bills? Mm -hmm. Um, Getting a dog, like, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is that everyone is individual, but try and think outside the box. Yeah. And the key point to that is that it has to be something that you can implement yourself, right? So you can get support, but it has to be something that you can take responsibility for and accountability. And um, yeah, so like one of the examples I give was my dad was in the hospital, right? And he was quite ill in the fall. And so when I look inward in that, my greatest fear was that my dad could die. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty damn real reality. Um, So I looked at my feelings and I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's terrifying, right? um and then it was almost like and i could feel it in my chest you know i could feel it in my body It like sadness like this could actually happen Mm -hmm. um and he was in the hospital and he was in hospital during covid right so there's restrictions and all these things that we're dealing with plus he's ill the communication was a little difficult with the doctors anyway i was like okay what are my options So the options were, you know, I can give him a phone call. I can go visit. Mm -hmm. I can call my mom or visit my mom, right? So it's like, what is that feeling I want to um, have instead of that fear of death? So one of it is I'm advocating for his health and his wishes, right? So that's calling the doctors, that's visiting the nurses station and just getting information um, asking him what he wants. Mm-hmm. Sounds crazy. But that made me feel as though I was acting on his behalf. Right. Yeah. And gave me some peace. And then when you start even going to help my mom or make dinner with my mom or just spend time with her, I was like, that was also a way I could support my dad. Right. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense because he wasn't there with her right yeah so they don't have to be complicated things right it could just be calling my dad and say hey i love you have a good night it doesn't have to be complicated and then that brings us to yeah the last step is e is the empowered action so it's choosing that one small action that brings you closer to that feeling that you want so in that example i wanted to feel I'll just say, it. I wanted to feel like a good daughter. I wanted to feel mm-hmm. like I was supporting my family um, and advocating my dad's wishes. Yeah. Um, I wanted my dad to feel loved no matter which way this went. And I was like, I didn't know if I have 20 more years with him or two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, what was within my power at that time? And as I said, like, I had a lot of options, even though we were in a very restricted time of life I still had a lot of options so I guess that's one of the take-home messages is um you know when you take some time to actually acknowledge this stuff and work through this process apply this process um you may be surprised with perspective once you pull out of that initial fear what options you may have Mm -hmm. And you might have some more choice
0: than you thought. As you were um, telling about your experience with your dad, I was um, I was seeing a twofold um, purpose or mm-hmm. two purposes that you were working on. One was advocating for him. Another was keeping your connection with him yeah. you said that you it was your biggest fear to uh fear of his death but through your actions you were able to remain connected with him mm-hmm. as well as advocating for him so it was serving him and also <clears throat> serving you yeah yeah it was a uh-
1: It was a very strange experience. I actually had a neighbor ask me, she's like, you must be so stressed out. Like your dad's in the hospital, it's COVID, it's this, it's that, it's that. And I was strangely, I was in a, at peace because I knew I was doing what I could Uh and that it was coming from love. Um, And I knew I only had those moments to do certain things, if that makes sense. Like there was a, Mm -hmm. there was a calm within the chaos. Right. Um, And there was a clarity and it was like, no, today is my day to visit. So I'm going to visit my dad, you know, the next day might be my mom. So maybe I do the phone call to my mom or the phone call to the doctor, but like, because I was clear in my role or what was actually within my capability and control, I cannot control whether my dad lives or dies.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I also anchor back to what are those biggest regrets we have, right? In those last moments. It was, I didn't do something, I didn't say something. um, And I knew in those moments, I was staying true to his advocacy and keeping that relationship for myself and him and um, well, our whole, our family unit. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I I had this strange calmness of, um, even when I walked in the hospital with all the gear and it was like early on, right? So we're all learning what to do and how to get screened and how do you do this safely? Um, It's interesting. I didn't have fear going in there because I was like, I'm going through these steps and I'm doing what I can. Like I felt like I was showing up, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Do and you only... think, yeah, go ahead. Well,
1: that just comes I think from building confidence too, right? So it's by, from doing these things, having these life experiences where you stay true to what your inner message is and you actually have some results. Like for me, I I do need some validation. Um, And so I've had some experiences with that now that I was like, no, like, yeah. I I still look back and I was like, no way. Like, I did not want my dad to die at all. Mm. But I also know that I wanted him pain-free, comfortable. You know what I mean? Quality of life. and that type of thing. So I just really focused on what I had control over. Mm-hmm. Um, which were some pretty, at the time, what I had the ability to do was some very um,
0: small actions, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. think you would have been able to have that calm in the chaos without experiencing James's death? I would say James's
1: death and the experience prior to his death um, prepared me for the work I am doing now, right? It's been part of my whole journey. Um, I have been able, I was the health and safety, (laughs) you know, coordinator of our Canadian operations and stuff like that. So I have um, exhibited experiences of being calm in chaos, Mm -hmm. right? We worked on construction sites and and that type of thing. Um, so I think it's naturally ingrained
0: mm-hmm.
1: in me, but it was almost like I I was building that muscle. I've been building that muscle, but I I think um, some of it is my my deme- like me my being. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm not really a frantic person uh-huh. but i also have some very specific tools i use to rein me in and i define realistic expectations like um i remember like with james when he was ill like going to a counselor and she actually sent me with this boundary exercise and said you know what Um, I want you to go home and tell me um, what are the boundaries you're setting um, within the conditions around James and my relationship at the time and when I came back I was like James has to do this and this and this and this and she laughed at me (laughs) she was like good luck (laughs) Uh, you know he's a grown adult yeah even if I duct tape him to the seat and I take him to the doctor like I can't force them to do things and there's confidentiality between patient and doctor like the doctor can't tell me things and she was just like give your head a shake like you can only control you and I was like what because I was a people pleaser. I was a fixer I was like come on I'll just take care of this I'll sweep this under the rug I'm an engineer I fix it I fix stuff uh-huh right yeah I I learned I I don't Can I support people and guide people and and unconditionally love and be with them? Yes, but I need to believe that they're capable Mm -hmm. of their own journey and I can only keep myself well so that when I can be of service and I can help, I can be there. Right. Um, But that was a huge life lesson. So when you say, would I have been able, I would have been a very different person with my dad in the hospital years ago
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I would have been an anxious spinning around mess right like I remember like, <laughs> this person's doing this and that person's doing that and you know like yeah it, it would have been I would have had a very busy mind um, and not that I didn't have concerns and anxiety like I I'm not immune to that mm-hmm. I'm human um, but I have some tools that can ground me and I can take that That higher level um, look at perspective of options. And I think that's what coaching helps people with. It's like getting out of that tunnel vision, right? When you're in panic or survival mode, you're like, oh my God. Um, And it's hard. It's hard when your emotions are intense to take that step back and be like, whoa, wait a second, what's this higher level view? So I think academically and within my work experience, and maybe some of it's just my gift that I had some of those fundamentals but until I lived it I think I said earlier like I'm one of those people that have to see it to believe (laughs) or whatever like I need that validation um so until I actually lived that experience right um and had someone blatantly say things in my face and then I was like oh yeah I'm trying these things and guess what it turns out he's actually in control of his own journey. Uh-huh. I thought I was. I was the wife. <laughs> what? The wife's not in control? Keepers, That's yeah. Used nice to me. <laughs> yeah. So it's terrifying. I I'll be straight out honest. Like it doesn't mean that the fear goes away. It doesn't mean that certain situations aren't terrifying. Um I still feel the full realm of emotions. I'm not um, a robot, mm-hmm. um, but I have these tools in place and supports
0: in place
1: to help me work through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what aspects in your daily life today make you feel as though you are an embracing and empowered life?
1: Yeah, I think it's that feeling of choice and options. Uh-huh. Before I was kind of on autopilot and I would always just pick the default of what I've always done before is what I'm going to do. Whether I actually liked how that felt or not, I still did it because it was familiar to me. Um, and yeah, it was like, well, if this happened, then, you know, in a certain way, then we'll just keep doing it instead of evaluating each thing in the moment. Um, So yeah, the empowered, the powered life is like, what I feel is the fact that I actually feel as though I have choice within different decisions. So whether that's where I want to live, where, or how I want to work, um, anything down to like what I want to cook for dinner. Like these don't have to be the big life things, but it's like actually recognizing that I have some choices in life. Cause I'll be honest, growing up, um, I didn't feel as though I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I had to meet all those check boxes. Yeah. You know, the education, I had to be both like academic, but sporty and athletic and, um, and not, I'm sure my parents would love me without, but in the time, that's what I thought. I thought I had to do that. Um, I had to, I don't remember like having another option other than going to university. Like, it was like, you're gonna be a professional. Uh, You're gonna have a career. Um, You're probably, you're gonna get married and have a house and have some kids. And you know, um, I really lived in that world for a long time. And I checked all those boxes and then life had a different path for me. So I had to take a real good look at, is this really what I want? Mm-hmm. what is success for me you know I kept saying family comes first and I wasn't living it yeah so um it was really looking at was I living the life that's in alignment with my values and beliefs
0: that's powerful hmm If you could give any advice uh, to someone who feels like they're stuck in that checking boxes mode Mm -hmm. or uh, maybe they're feeling they don't have a choice, what advice would you give to them to help them get in touch with themselves?
1: Stop and listen. I've learned listening is um, so powerful. We, for some reason in this world, really acknowledge um, speaking and voice, Mm -hmm. Um, but being a good listener, um, so powerful. Um, And when I say that, I mean within words. So whether you're listening to your children or you're listening to your coworker or you're listening to your partner, Um, but also listening to yourself, your body sends you messages all day. Yeah. All day. Um, through your body, through your mind, um, through the way you're just, you're feeling right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you're receiving messages both internally and externally all day long. So really, working on taking that time to, to listen, because then that gives you the ability to acknowledge and decide what you want to do with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So that's about all the time that we have for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before I can, before I ask you to share your contact information. One of my main
1: messages is to just know that um, you're not alone. Yeah, that's one thing I really struggle with around my husband's death. I feel as though um, and he didn't communicate this to me. But I that's one of the things that keep me up at night is that he was alone, or I feel as though he was alone. I'll never know the answer. Um, but, and even in my grief journey, or I call it healing journey as well, um, keep asking the questions, keep, um, don't give up on yourself. There is your support out there, right? And and you're not alone. And again, listening, listening to your your gut, you know, your head or, Your children, like I said, your children, like people do actually ask or tell you what they need or want. And then you get to decide if that works for you or not. Right. And that's the same with your body. Every message that your mind tells you doesn't mean it's true in that moment, Mm -hmm. but it's a message. So you could say, oh, thank you. And then you decide what you want to do with that. And I guess that's where the empowerment comes. But, yeah.
0: <laughs> so many amazing messages. Thank you. Thank you for opening it up and letting us get a glimpse of your healing journey and, and how to embark on our own through the steps of love. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm- it's been yeah,
1: it's so great. It's funny. I sometimes never even know what's all going to come out of my mouth, right? <laughs> we were saying right before we started like you get authentic me. Um yeah. you know, um I yeah, I just try to to share as um genuinely and as authentically um as I can and like I said just here to help either in my own coaching world or support or in connection for other people so that they know um, there is support out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if people want to reach out for you, reach out to you or learn more about your book, where can they go for that?
1: Yeah, so my website is Allisoncoaches.com. And on there's information about me. If you wanna check that out, um, there is a link Like you can actually sign up to be on my early bird list for my book launch. So essentially when I, when I publish it, you'll get an email that says um, that it's been published and available. I'll do a digital copy and a paperback copy. And when you sign up for that list, you do actually get the Transform by Love Four Step Action Plan. So it's just a free download gift um, for showing support and interest. So that's part of that, and that's probably the best place to get a hold of me because it has my contact information, my email, my my phone number. Um, you can you can set up a discovery session with me um, if you're looking into mindset coaching. Um, there's some connection with my doTERRA wellness, um, practice. So, um, yeah, the allisoncoaches.com is
0: the best place. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Anything else?
1: No, I think I feel full.
0: <laughs> I do too. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel full and very, um, I guess full is the right word, like full of gratitude and uh, wisdom and light and excitement too, to move forward in my own journey. Yeah, it's one of those things that, um,
1: again, what I say sometimes when we're anchoring through deep grief and, and that is. What would my loved one want for me? Yeah. You know, it's the same as I would want for them is that their pain is gone. Um, so um, when I, when I think about that, I try to push away, you know, that guilt or shame or whatever that comes up if I am, if I actually am laughing and enjoying life, right? Because the truth is my husband would want that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he would, and, uh, I would want the same for him. So it's, it's like granting yourself permission to, um, to live, to live an empowered, fulfilled life. Um, and that is what the gift of our short time here on earth is like, I learned, unfortunately that, you know, growing old is a privilege.
0: hmm
1: Yeah, it's not your right, it's a privilege. And um, not all of us get that. So what what are you gonna do when you're here? Why not, (laughs) right? Exactly, why not? If it doesn't harm yourself or someone else, why not? (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And I think we will end on that note, why not? Yeah. So if you enjoyed this next time, join us next time. Um, in our journey of exploring humanity one heart at a time.